So this is the last Sunday that we have where we're going to kind of have this one-off. We had three here in a row uh, where we talked about some topical issues. And, and this morning, we're going to talk about something that has been on my heart to talk about for a while, I mean, for years. And I've just been really praying for that long about how to, how to, how to discuss this as a congregation. Um, and I'll explain why in a moment. But um, I was wondering if you could help me out to kind of get us started this morning. I was wondering if any of you could finish this sentence, because here's the thing. I had a birthday last week, and I'm feeling very old now, and so I want to see if any of you really relate to some of the things that I still relate to. So see if you can finish the sentence. Uh, you have to fight for your right. See, I'm not that old. So, some of the college guys even knew that. Okay, good, you know? So because I thought, man, they probably know who, what is that, you know? Um, and I thought about trying to play something that I didn't really understand, which, you know, some new party music, and I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm just be making that up, so... Um, yeah, there's this idea, and you know, for me, I was, for me, that, that song and that kind of mantra was like, I was like in high school that time, and it was just, we really felt that, like in our, we felt you had to fight for your right to party, you know, and we were going to fight for that. You know, you, you got to stand for something, that's what we were going to stand for. Uh, we, we got a right to party, you know, and of course, our parents love that, uh, not really, and it was a constant, gave us something to fight about, you know, to battle against, but... Uh, this morning, I want to talk about that because I think that this is something that we don't talk about a lot in churches, and that's uh, how we're called to party, you know. I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, we have more profound truth to share than anyone else you will encounter. I mean, if you know the truth of the gospel of Jesus, if you know the truth of the way that God sent his son to provide peace for you with himself, you have something to be excited about. And I feel like sometimes we fall off. There's a couple of, I guess, errors we would say where we can fall off on either side of this. And so uh, I, I want to spend some time this morning talking about that. Now, why this is an important issue, you know, um, I've, been, I've been here uh, in the community probably about, I don't know, what, 12 years maybe, something like that. That's a guess. Um, you know, we came here to raise our family, and we were really excited about Highland because uh, we always wanted to raise our family here. We, we just wanted to come back when we had kids and raise our children here. And, um, you know, because it's a nice community. We love it. We, we really love everything about it. And, uh, but then as we've lived here for over the time, you know, there's just some realities that came, came into play. Here's one of the realities, and maybe if you're a local Highlander, this will make sense to you, and if you're not, um, maybe it won't. Maybe it'd be like me. Whenever I first, now this is before we had children, when I started dating Krista, I came up here to Highland to be close to her. I moved, by the way, love and marriage, right? I moved to be near her. <laughs> I literally relocated. Um, but I came to the community, and I got a job in town. And one of the first exposures I had to party life in Highland, Illinois, was drinking on the dirt roads. Have y'all ever heard of that? I had never heard of that where I come from. I hadn't. Now, I was, I'm, not, I'm kind of from the sticks, you know, but I just, we actually went to houses and stuff. Like, I had never heard of, like, a back road thing. And so I was, I worked at Mazio's Pizza one time, and this dude's like, hey, you want to go out? And I'm like, yeah, you know, and he's like, we're going to go out to, I don't know what it was. I can't even, Iberg, I don't know what it was, Arkansas, I don't even know, you know. And I'm like, okay, what's the address? He's like, no, the road. What? See, there was this kind of subculture here in this community uh, where, where uh, teenagers, and I was one at the time, would show up to party in the middle of nowhere, right? And, they, and literally, this was such a deal that the police officers would patrol for it. Now, if you're not from here, you're thinking, what in the world? But I'm going to tell you, it's true. I saw it, right? And, um, and so there's this, there's this issue in our community 
uh, that relates to alcohol and partying and the party scene. I'll tell you something else. I was talking to somebody who has a, a family member who's in rehab right now and, um, and, and, and Texas, you know, the big, in the big city. And we were talking about it. And I said, well, yeah, we've got some folks who are struggling with drug addiction in Highland. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, yeah, there's drugs in Highland? I'm like, yeah, it's kind of a problem everywhere. You know, we, don't, we, we sometimes act like we live in a bubble. We don't. You know, I read an article in the paper this week that said the state's attorney's office, get this, has prosecuted three people. I want to get this right. He's prosecuted three people so far this year for this charge, drug-induced homicide. Did you know that? Our state's attorney has prosecuted three people for drug-induced homicide this year. They've, they've uh, done this for three people in the last decade before. And what does that mean? It means that if you're partying with a friend and you give them drugs and they die, you get charged with homicide. That's kind of a big deal. And I was shocked by that. I'm like, wow. But you know, I just, in our, in our little community here, I just, I read about somebody who dumped somebody off at the hospital and they were overdosed, right? And the police went back and knocked on the door and said, you're liable for this. Trying to create some accountability in the community for it. So there's a real, real issue with this. Now, the reason that I want to talk about it, not just because of the problem, but I think that there's a reality that if we don't engage in this conversation, and so this morning, I hope you're ready, because if we don't talk about this honestly and openly, we lose our voice in the room. And like I said to you before, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we have the most profound truth to share with anybody in the whole planet. And so if we're going to forsake complete areas of, of uh, conversation, we're just giving it over. We're not even going to be in, in the conversation anymore, giving it up. And I think that's the wrong move. I think we have to keep, keep dialoguing and having conversations, knowing that the God that we serve isn't surprised by these things. As a matter of fact, today, I think if you see nothing else, you'll see that this isn't new to God. These problems aren't new to God. And then uh, the second reason I want to talk about it is because if we don't talk about it at all, here's the trick. If we say nothing about alcohol or drug or partying or a scene or what it looks like, silence equals consent. That means as much as we sit in the corner and fret and wring our hands about it, if we aren't talking about it, we're agreeing with what's happening. And that's not okay for the people who are called to proclaim a gospel of a God who loves them so much that he would send his son to die. And so, uh, so for those reasons, I wanted to share, I share that this morning. Now, um, one time I was hanging out with a bunch of business people and it was like an after hours cocktail party and I was a pastor by now, right? Um, so I was supposedly a respectable type, you know, and I was hanging out and this guy comes over to me and he says, hey, hey, I got a joke for you. And I said, okay, you know, and he says, why do you take two Baptists fishing if you go fishing? I'm like, I don't know, dude, why? And this guy was pretty, you know, you know on his way. Because <laughs> if you take one, they'll drink all your beer. <laughs> That's what he told me. And I'm like, that's funny. But you know why he said it? Because there's this reality that when we're in groups, we go like, oh, that doesn't happen. We, we're above all that. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we don't stoop to those levels. But if we get alone with a guy in a boat, and he's like, hey, you want a beer? You're like, yeah, man. I have a beer while I'm fishing. This morning, I want to talk about the scriptural basis for when we choose 
to uh, partake, when we choose to do these things, and how, and why, and, and things like that. So today, I just wanted to see what the Bible has to say. And man, I hope this is not the end of a conversation, but the beginning of a conversation. I hope that you see that, and I hope that you engage in that conversation with me. So let's start that right now by praying before we open the Word of God today. Join me in prayer. Father God, we've come into your house to worship you first and foremost, to proclaim your good grace to us, the truth of the gospel that you've died to save us, and that you would do nothing, I mean, you would do anything to, to, to reach us. There's nothing you wouldn't do, Father. And you've proven that time and time again. And so today, Father God, as we open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would inspire the word. It would inspire me to proclaim it. It would inspire all of us to hear your voice, that we might be changed today, that we might no longer conform to the ways of the world, but conform to your word and your will for our lives. And we're going to trust you with that because you are a God who is able. We give you praise and glory today. We pray this time is set aside for us to learn from you as your disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to kind of read a passage of Scripture here together. Luke, chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. I'm going to give you just a second to get there. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. It's a, a little bit of a long passage, but I want, to, I want you to hear the whole story. So Jesus has been doing miracles, and, and this is where the word picks up. It says, John's disciples told him about all these things. That was the things that Jesus was doing. So calling two of them, John sent them to ask the Lord, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Well, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out to the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you to prepare your way before you. I tell you, Jesus said, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's ways were right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus continued, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. Because John came neither eating, nor, eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. It's the word of God. 
And so in this passage of scripture, we have so many things going on, but I want to kind of focus toward the end. I want you to hear the whole story because John has been making disciples. He's been out in the wilderness. He's been preaching, make straight the way of the Lord. You know, you remember the old stories about him in, in uh, camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. You know, he was like a naturalist. He was out in the wilderness. But he's been proclaiming this, and whenever he hears that uh, Jesus is doing these, these signs, these miracles. He sends his disciples out to ask, are you the one that's to come? So he's asking about Jesus' role as Messiah. And Jesus says some things there. But I want to get to the end where he tar- starts talking about what their motivations were. I'll put out to you that what we see here at the very end there in verses 33 and 34 are two distinct approaches to the world or the scene, Okay. So John the Baptist is the first one that we're introduced to here, and he, he's, he's kind of the, uh, like I said, he, he's a prophet of God. He is, he is, he's very unique in God's kingdom. I'll, I'll share it with you how unique he is, as a matter of fact. If, if we were to look at the Gospel of Luke, this is what it says about John the Baptist. In the very opening of the, chapter, of the book of Luke, it says, uh, John will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, here's some things that are unique about John recorded in God's word. He is never to, be, never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. You'll remember there's a story about Elizabeth, and whenever Mary walks in pregnant with Jesus, John does a flip in his mom's belly. The word proclaims that John will be unique and that the Holy Spirit will dwell in him even before he's born, Right? So John kind of is born as this holy man. He comes, he, you know, Jesus said he's a prophet, yeah, and more. He was born as a, in the priestly household. He's a man of purity, of righteousness. When Jesus says, what did you go out to see? He's saying, what drew you to John? Was it because he promised you a comfortable life? Was it because he, he was, you know, wishy and washy? You know, was, was he blown like a reed in the wind? No. John stood firm for what he believed in. He, he cast off palaces and accolades and fine clothes to proclaim the word of the Lord, to proclaim, make way, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And so this is John, and he kind of sets up this one approach, I guess, to the, the things of the world. He, he stands completely, you know, opposite, opposing at a distance. Then the second, of course, is uh, we, we've, we're familiar with, and that Jesus refers to in the second part of that verse in 34, is the Son of Man. Now, he's referring to himself here, and he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. By the way, the accusation against John was that, that he was crazy, that he was a nut, that he, had, you know, he was off his rocker out in the woods there, right? And so that was the accusation whenever he came with abstaining from everything. That's one side. And then you have Jesus the Christ who's come into the world. And, and he comes as those who would expect him to come. He comes partaking. I'll remind you that, and you can look this up if you want. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 2. His first miracle is at a wedding feast, right? As a matter of fact, what happens is they're, they're, they're serving the wine to the people at the wedding party, and, and uh, they run out. And, and Mary comes to Jesus and says, son, they're out of wine. And what his response is is this, woman, why do you bother me? My time has not yet come. He See, he knows he is chosen by God for his purpose and his mission, but he doesn't feel like it's his time yet to do anything. But if you read it, it's kind of funny because his mom just kind of expects him to solve the problem, and he does. And it says that Jesus had them fill up, uh, what, like six you know, buckets of water and then scoop one out and take it to the head taster for the party. And when the taster drinks it, it says the water was turned to wine and he said, this is the finest wine I've ever tasted. 
the first miracle of Jesus. Now, I found some people in my research this week. By the way, this was one of the hardest sermons to prepare for because there's so much stuff out there about this. It's, it's bananas if you look into it. Like even just the, the look into the scriptures, there's so many scriptural references to drunkenness and sobriety and our call and, and, and what we're called to do. And so this is a very pared down uh, example this morning. But, but I found some people who said, well, that, 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 wasn't, that wasn't really wine. They were, they were, it's not the same thing, you know? And they make a case for that. Now, you can look at that and read it yourself and see if, if that's what you believe about it, that they were making Welch's grape juice, right? That's what he was doing. That, that was the miracle, that they had had this wine before, but when they tasted the grape juice, it was better than the wine. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's really supported in the scripture. And, and especially when we look at John's uh, call earlier, that he will neither have wine nor fermented drink. See, they didn't just have alcohol served in wine then. They had some other ways to make it with honey and things like that. There were sweet drinks. And so when he says John would not have wine or fermented drink, he means any of that stuff that would make you not sober of mind. You see, he was going to be born with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' first miracle in and of itself is interesting because he does it at a wedding feast and he makes wine. Now, I think I understand why people were concerned about this, because they say, oh, if, if we say that Jesus supported winemaking, we're going to have a bunch of drunks on our hands, <laughs> and, uh, and that's not where we want to go. But I want to I just walk through this a little bit. Um, I, I want to remind you, too, that Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, he was accused of several things, and one was always heresy, you know, because he would say things about his father that people didn't like. But the other thing he was, if you look at Scripture overall, it, he was always accused of indulging that was the accusation against him. Why are you eating on the Sabbath? Why are you working on the Sabbath? Why are you taking these, you know, why are you doing these things that aren't allowed? They were very much about the rules and following the rules, and they were offended when Jesus didn't follow the rules. And he tried to explain to them because the rules were about him, and so he's here to fulfill them. But they didn't understand that. I'm not sure that we understand it either, honestly. But before we go too far that way, one thing we have to keep in mind is that Jesus wasn't lawless. Right? I'll share from the Gospel of Matthew with you. Um, Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, do not think for a moment that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. In case you're wondering, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, he's speaking of the scriptural promises, but I mean that, you know, Jesus was without sin. And so if we're going to stand there, we're gonna, and that's where people get hung up on this issue. They go, well, he couldn't have made wine because that would be sin. Well, you know. We've got to be careful what we, what we think there. Um, but he did not come to be a lawbreaker, but a law fulfiller, right? And that's, that's where uh, Jesus comes into the picture. All right, so I want to get down to some rubber meets the road stuff with you real quick here, okay? So I wanted to show you these two examples because Jesus brings them up of his own. And he says, here's the accusations. You know, John is a purist, and they call him crazy. I come, and I sit with tax collectors and sinners, and I go to, you know, weddings and make wine and stuff, and they call me a drunkard and a glutton. By the way, one thing that's interesting, and this is really wild to me, is that we are quick to chastise to... to um, to, to be offended by drunkenness, but we're not very offended by gluttony. And I'm saying this as one who overate, what, like Friday night at the Olive Garden, <laughs> you know? I mean, I was like, oh, and, and I don't really think when I'm sitting there rolling out into my car and complaining all the way home because I'm so full, you know, that God is going, really? You know, glutton, do you have to do that? But if you look at it, all the time in scriptures, uh, um, drunkenness and gluttony are almost always linked together. It's just, it's just too much, it's too much, and it's offensive to God. 
Very interesting that those things are tied together. So anyway, I want to kind of set those things up because the, what we have here is kind of these two, goal, these two markers, you know. You've got John, the abstainer, and you've got Jesus, the indulger. And, and in the middle here somewhere, we should find ourselves, right? But before we go too far down that road, I want to say one other thing that's obvious from Scripture. And that is that as followers of Jesus, and actually as just, you know, believers um, in Yahweh, in the God who made us, the Old Testament, New Testament, um, we are called to not be drunk, and this is someone I talk to about, about consumption of any kind of, of, of um, alcohol or, or uh, anything, anything we do. We talk about it, and people go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Don't be drunk. I got that, right? And, um, uh, but it's definitely clear in Scripture that we're called repeatedly to be of sober mind. If you want to do some word searches, it's pretty interesting. You can do word searches for sobriety, sober. You can do word searches for drunk, drunkenness, and drunkard, which is interesting because that's a state of being, okay? It's a noun. It's like you are a drunkard. Right? It's something you become over time. And so you can do word search for those, but it's very clear that we are not called to be drunk. And so I want to lay that out. And so when I say that, you know, John was an abstainer and Jesus was an, um, an indulger, and I'm, I'm using that loosely, and I'm very, very uh, trying to be cautious today, but I don't want you to think that Jesus walked around, staggered around, you know what I mean, having the life at a party. That's not the case. Because Scripture repeatedly admonishes us against drunkenness. And we'll talk more about that later. So we're not called to be drunk. So the question is, between these two, you know, complete abstention and, and some um, discerned reasonableness is where we stand. So here's some things I want to share with you about drunkenness and maybe why we shouldn't, uh, you know, we, we are, the scripture says we should not be drunk at all. The first is this, that drunkenness is a, is a spiritual risk factor. Now, I don't know if you believe that or not, right? Because he's just having a good time. I was just fighting from right to party. But the truth is, this is what scripture says about, about it. It says, uh, be alert and of sober mind. This is First Peter. We studied this just recently. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat. And this is proved out in life. What I love about Scripture is it's always proved out in life. But I can tell you that if, if you're running around, if your ambition in life is to, to get drunk, you will find trouble. Trouble will find you. You know? I mean, you are at risk. It's at-risk behavior. And, and uh, just our experience you know, proves out to be true. And the scripture here uh, speaks to that, this, that uh, the devil is prowling around looking for opportunities and therefore uh, be of sober mind and be alert, Peter tells the church, right? And that's more than just imbibing, but it definitely includes alcohol and, and things like that. Uh, the, uh, the second is this, that um, uh, a drunkenness will keep us from entering God's kingdom. Do you know that's true? That's what scripture says. It says that it will keep you from God's kingdom. Now, that should give you some pause. Because, you know, you might just go, well, it's, you know, you're my thing, your thing, whatever. I'm just doing my own thing. Leave me alone. Not a big deal. The scriptures uh, report this, and this is in uh, uh, Corinthians. Paul writes to the church, and he says, be not deceived. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were before Christ Jesus. And so when we're talking about these things, uh, we have to be careful. By the way, I put an ellipse in there because there's a whole list of things that will not be entered, that will not be allowed to enter the kingdom of God. But one of them is drunkards. It says nor drunkards in the middle of that list. And so um, that's what the ellipse is there for. You can look that up and, and see the rest of the list if you would like to, 1 Corinthians. So it limits our, our uh, entry into God's kingdom to be, and by the way, that's that one I was telling about, that noun, that state of being a drunkard. Someone who is continually drunk. 
All right, so it keeps us from God. And the third thing is this about drunkenness, okay, is that it's a lame substitute. And this is one of my favorite scriptures about this topic. And I remember whenever I was a new believer in Jesus, I read this passage of scripture, and I'm like, that's so cool. You know, because I kind of came out of that party lifestyle. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I was around, you know. I mean, I, I, I've shared this with you before, and I'm not bragging about it, but I mean, I've I just been around. And when I read this, I'm like, yeah, because I knew that as followers of Jesus, we had something else, something better. And what I realized about drunkenness is it's a bad, lame substitute for the real thing. This is what the word of God says. It says, do not get drunk on wine, or it says, no longer be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, I, I remember one time we were at a, like a, um, a rummage, I don't know what it's called, like a fair of some sort, and there was a shirt there that said, uh, hello, I'm drunk, you know, like a fake name tag on the t-shirt, you know, and uh, I wanted to buy it, and I was a believer, and actually, we were with Kim Perry, yeah, with you guys, and uh, I'm like, I'm going to buy this, and she's like, why? And I'm like, because it's a Christian t-shirt. She's like, no, it's not. Uh, but the version I had read said, be no longer drunk on wine, be drunk on the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, this is more accurately translated here, but it means that we're going to fill ourselves up with something that's going to take control of us. Don't let it be alcohol. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we, we, I mean, I'm just telling you, you can have a, a way better time in God's presence. And so I, I thought that was a funny shirt. I didn't buy it because by her reaction, I thought I'm going to offend a lot of people with that shirt. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. But, but, you know, I just thought, you know, to be drunk, to be, to be consumed with the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, I think that that's what's happening there. Whenever you're, you're, you're trying to be part of the party, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to establish rapport or, or ease your tensions or whatever. And I'm talking about the party scene in particular. And you do it to make something that you don't have exist. You try to create something from liquid. And it's not true. It's not real. It's not genuine. But the Holy Spirit of God, when he comes into your life, is true. Is real, is genuine, and makes you who you're called to be. And you can be that way all the time. Really cool thing. So I love that passage of scripture. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I told you that, see, John was born full of the Spirit of God. And so from the moment that he came out of his mother's womb, he never, you know, touched the stuff. He never did. All right. So it's a lame substitute for the real thing. Keep that in mind. Drunkenness is prohibited in God's kingdom. All right. So I want to walk through some practical things now because I do think, and this is where I'm fear and trepidation here. I'm being honest with you, church. I hope that you're ready to do all the work because I, 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 there's some scripture coming up where I'm like, yes, that's where I'm at. I don't want to do that. But I want to have an honest conversation about what this means. So I think that there are some times that we can clearly say we are not to partake anything in any way because we have liberty in Christ, but there's some times that we should, we should not. We should abstain completely. And here's some of those times that, that I think are, are called for. And the first is this. We should not partake if it's illegal, okay? Now, I'll tell you where I see this most frequently, and we're going to walk through a couple cases of this. Very practical stuff today. But I think that if you're under the age of 21 in this country, you aren't allowed to drink alcohol. And I'm sorry that you don't think that's fair, but that's the law, we are called to, to be obedient, to be submissive. Now, I feel myself when I say that. I'm like, well, you drive five over the speed limit. And I do. Lord, I drive five over the speed limit. Okay, because I want to get there faster. But I, I, it's, it's a justification for breaking the law. But I want you to see that what Peter calls us to here 
And it's this, he says, submit yourselves to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority. Now get this, this is the part that really got me, right? Or to governors who are sent by the emperor to punish those who do wrong and, and commend those who do right. And what he's saying is that anyone who has authority over you has the right to limit your freedoms and you should submit to that limitation as a follower in Jesus Christ to glorify God, to let them know that you, we aren't rebels, we submit. Now, I'll tell you another instance where this comes in, because here's a really interesting conversation that you have, okay? We talk about alcohol. You go, okay, you might be, you know, you should never drink because, you know, my dad was alcoholic and it was terrible, and I know that's true. And alcohol is very destructive. I know that's true. And, and, and so we kind of make these blanket statements. But then here's what's interesting. Up to this point in our country, we've been able to say, like, don't do drugs. Like, we shouldn't do drugs at all. And then the question that's happening right now, because of the legalization of marijuana, and because there's some people who are like, yeah, it's not that bad, is that we start to fudge this area of what is allowable and what is not allowable. And, and I would say that, um, that this is where we start. It's not where we finish. Where we start is if it's legal or not legal, you know? So right now, there's no excuse for partaking in a drug culture at all. Now, some of you might be ahead of me. You go, well, what if we legalize it? What, well, we're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. But for now, um, that's just something that we should adhere to straight, straight up. There's no excuse for it. So that's one time that we should never partake in, in any way. The second is this, if, if we've agreed to not do it for any particular reason, okay? And this comes to mind uh, because I worked for Greenville College a few years ago, and as an employee of Greenville College, somehow I was put on the faculty side. I wasn't a faculty teacher, but I was on the faculty side. And we had to restrict alcohol consumption at all times in our lives, not just when we worked for the college, but all times. I was a student at Greenville as well, as many of you know, and I sat with a lot of students who said, you know what, I don't care. I don't agree with that. But here is my problem. I feel like I made that promise to withhold. And, and this is one of my favorite passages that Jesus says. I, love, I use this all the time in my own life. He says, all you need to do is simply say yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so if you said yes, you're going to submit. If, if you've promised somebody you're not going to do it, if you've, if you've made a, a commitment to not do it, then that's the time that we shouldn't do it, Period. And there's no way around that. Um, or, I, there's a way around it, but there shouldn't be. We should, we should be people of our word as followers of Jesus Christ. We should be people who keep our word. All right? And so one of the things that happens in these conversations invariably is we have to go from saying what can we get away with to what are we going to, who are we going to be as people? And I always say it's a character issue. It's more about us. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you don't agree with it, don't submit to it. But don't submit to it and then disagree with it and break, and, and break your word. All right. So if you've agreed in some way. And, and, then, and then the third, and this is where we get into, uh, we're going to get into something uh, a little more uh, full, fully scoped. If it's going to bring harm, okay? And then if it's going to bring harm to yourself or to someone else. Now, here's the trouble um, we talked about, um, and I want to go back just a moment, we talked about legality and illegality, but here's the problem. The, the scripture still commands us to be sober of mind, all right? That's the call. Like, that's the standard. And so whenever we think about things that are legal or illegal, we have to ask, is it, ca is it causing me to be uh, drunk? meaning to not have clear thought patterns, to not, to not be able to discern rightly. What's one of the gifts we have of the Holy Spirit is to discern rightly. And when we invite 
lack of discernment into our life through uh, alcohol consumption or through drug use, we kind of break that, that barrier and we open ourselves up to all kind of temptations. It's a funny thing that we pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we go out and we partake willingly in things that are going to limit our ability to withstand, to discern rightly. So, so if it's going to bring harm in, in some way, um, uh, we're called to not partake of it. Now, we're going to open this up a little bit, like I said, but I did want to say that because here's something that was really wild, right? Talking about the legality, illegality. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but th- there, there are people who are figuring out very creative ways to use normal stuff you find in your house to get high with, right? I mean, it's a mess. It's a total mess. And so just saying if it's illegal, don't do it, doesn't cut it. Because there's people that are, that are sucking on and drinking and, and uh, um, smoking and, and cooking all kinds of crap in their kitchens to get high with. It's ridiculous. And so we have to have a different standard. We have to have a different standard. And today, uh, the reason I'm telling you this is because I think we really have a choice in what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Romans now. We're going to spend a little bit of time here and we're going to wrap up in Romans. But um, I want you to turn with me. Um, Romans 14 uh, verses 13 through 23. Now, this is Paul, right? And he's writing to the church in Rome. And he's talking about some things where there's some divisiveness inside the church about uh, things we should do and not do. And this is one of those issues, and that's probably why I prayed about it so long, because I think we need to talk about it, start a conversation. But I think that we, uh, and be honest about that, but I, I think that this scripture really speaks to what we're, what we're struggling with in some ways. So Paul says this in verse 13 of chapter 14 of the book of Romans. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. By the way, anytime you see therefore in Scripture, you've got to back up and see, see why. This is what it says in verse 12. So then, each one of us will give an account to him, of himself to God. So there's going to come a day where each one of us will give account to God for what we've done in this life. Paul says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another, but instead make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am, fe- I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in, the, in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. I want you to hear what he's saying there. Paul's saying that I've decided, and Peter went through the same thing whenever God revealed some things to Peter about what's clean and unclean, that there's nothing that's unclean. And yet he says here that for those who perceive it as unclean, it is unclean. All right. If your brother is, now listen to this verse. If your brother is distressed, that means you're Adelphos, brother or sister, right? If you're, if you're uh, those who are with you in Christ are distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love, all right? Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Jesus died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by him. And so here's the standard that we have of how we can live as followers of Jesus. I want you to see it again. It says, in righteousness, in peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In those kind of endeavors, Christ is pleased it's pleasing to God and serves Christ and is approved by men. And so here's the standard that we can have of how we can, how we can function. Now, this is the problem with this and the reason people don't like this kind of talk because this requires you to be on the job. You know what I mean? It requires you to be thinking when you're out there making choices, who around you is being influenced by your choices? 
It kind of sets us up as like a standard bearer of sorts. It sets us up and answers one of the fundamental questions of the scriptures, which is asked by Cain and Abel after he kills his brother. He says, who am I, my brother's keeper? And the whole rest of the scripture says, yeah, we are. And so here's the standard that we have to be always aware and alert of what's going on around us, those who we're with, to see how they are discerning things and to eat or drink in an appropriate manner around them, okay? Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, right? Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause a brother to fall. And so here's Paul's standard. He's saying, if you're looking around you, and there are people who are going to be tripped up by what you're doing. Stop doing it. There's another place in Scripture where he says, I will never eat meat again if it's going to cause a brother to fall. Right? And that's a big deal. And so, um, so, so there, there's our standard that we should be even more if it's going to cause harm to ourselves and to others. The truth is that so much of this stuff is, I just want to be really honest about it because we have these kind of fields of thought. And so people say, everything is a gateway. Everything is progressive. Everything is going to be good at the beginning of the end. But many of us have experiences of life that don't bear that to be true. But the flip side is, for some people, everything becomes a gateway to something else, right? And as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called, look at what it says here, we're called to accountability to one another. See, this is like the voice in the room thing I'm talking to you about. Because the Baptist joke comes true. That if we're there together, and we see a brother or a sister who's doing something that's, that's, that we discern isn't right, we can talk to them about that and say, that's not great for you. Do you know what this is doing to your life? Do you know what the price you're paying for this? But if we ever talk about it, if we never have an honest conversation, we're never in the room when destruction's happening. We don't even get in there. And then a brother or sister's all alone. And that's a bad place to be. So here's this perspective that Paul gives us. I'm going to read on verses 22 and 23. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Now, this is where I said fear and trepidation. Listen to what it says. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. I want you to hear that said again. Blessed is the man who doesn't condemn himself by what he approves. Now, I stand here this morning before you as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I cautiously just share what I find in scriptures about this. I'm not admonishing or I'm not encouraging. One of my biggest fears that came out of talking about this issue, and I've been praying about this for years, is I wouldn't want someone to say, well, you know what? The pastor said, I can do whatever I want because all the things clean for me because that, that's not what I'm up here saying. And that doesn't even matter because it's between you and God and your discernment about this. And I'm not saying that everything, because there's got to be, like the sobriety thing is just repeatedly in Scripture. You'll be overwhelmed with how many Scriptures there are about sobriety and drunkenness. I would encourage you to read up on that. And so today, um, I just wanted to bring that up, but it says, but, but uh, the man who... Uh, I'm sorry, but blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by approving of things. And so that's not what I'm here to do. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not done from faith. So if you're not sure, you abstain from it. And everything that does not come from faith is sinfulness. That's what Paul says. And so if we aren't convinced in our spirit, if we aren't convinced of the word, if we aren't convinced of the community that our approach is appropriate, then we shouldn't do it, because we're not sure. It's not done in faith. It's done in sin. So, so there are some things that I wanted to share with you. Paul's perspective. Now, perspective, I'm sorry. Now, um, I want to close with uh, the, 
I'm going to read a little bit from a, a proverb to you because this is a beautiful thing I want to share with you. We're going to go right back to where we started here. But Proverb 23, I'm just going to read it to you. You can, you can look it up later. You can turn it if you want to. 23, 29 through 35. This is what it says. Listen, to, this is Solomon, right? The wisest man to ever live. This is what he says. Who has woe and who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go down to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, or when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Listen to this. I, I mean, if you don't read your Bible, you should. Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind will imagine confusing things. You'll be like one who is sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. You see? They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me up, but I can't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find me another drink? He's describing there the life of a drunkard, someone who's never of sober mind, someone who's constantly in that, you know, unsure state, confused, you know, overwhelmed, Lost. The proverb bears true. And I hope, I, I hope that you hear that today. So when Jesus first responds to John in the gospel today, he says this. He says, uh, go and tell him what you see. And I'm going to share with you uh, 721. At the very time... Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to those who were blind. And, and I want to say to you, to go full circle on this deal, that here's the truth. If you've been down that road already, you know, and if you've been like the partier, if you're, if you're addicted to something, whether it's uh, um, alcohol, whether it's a drug of some sort, whether it's a prescription drug, whether it's, uh, you know, anything in your life, I want you to know that the truth is that Jesus came as the healer into the situation that he came into. That makes sense. And so whenever he says at the beginning of this verse where he says, you know, when they come and they say, hey, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? He says, go and report what you're seeing. I'm healing people here. And that's really the root of all of this. All I can really share with you is that, and this isn't just me, but it's been confirmed in so many people I know who've come to Christ, is that God changes the inside. That if you're addicted, if you're stuck on it, if you've got to have it, Jesus does a work in our lives that changes our heart toward it. And that's probably the overarching message here, is our heart toward what we're doing. He can just remove that. He can just heal you. And so I hope that you know that today. I hope that you know that that's ultimately why he came. Whenever Jesus came to, uh, when he first read the scroll, and then whenever John asked him, are you the Christ, both times he, he shared the same verse. And, and this is the difference. It's from the prophet Isaiah, and it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is Jesus' mission. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives, and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of the vengeance of our God, 
to comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Now listen, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I think this is the beautiful truth about the God that we serve. Because all those things, you know, um, ashes of mourning and and, uh, spirits of despair are things that we find in this culture of alcoholism, in this culture of, of drug use. And Jesus says, I came to change those things. And here's the final verse. He says, and those people that I've come, you know, Paul said earlier that you were just that way yourself. And he says, those people that I've come for will be known as oaks of righteousness, a planting of Yahweh for the display of his splendor. And I hope that you know that today, that ultimately that's the reason he came, was to take us from those, weed, those reeds blowing in the wind to oaks of righteousness. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. We're going to, we're going to um, finish in prayer and have one more psalm, but please uh, join me in prayer today. Father God, we've come here and we've heard from your word and, and uh, you know the sensitivity of this issue and you know the realities we live in, you know the circumstances we face every day and ultimately we want to glorify you through everything we do. And so today, Father God, we pray that you would uh, have your way in our heart and mind. I, I want to ask specifically today, Father God, that if there are those here today who are struggling with an addiction of some sort, that they just, you know, they, they, they want to love you, they can't give it up. I pray that today you would move in their heart, that they could be free, released, as your word promises. I pray that they could know the difference between the artificiality of being drunk on wine and the reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. There's something even better, even more fulfilling in our lives. And I do pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would continue to teach us and guide us and direct us in this issue. It's not easy. That we could be known as those who are honoring to our Father and glorifying to our Savior. We pray today, Father God, that you would have mercy on us, as always, that you would show us your path, and that we would be obedient to follow it, whatever it costs. We could follow you. Give you praise and glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.